0: Go and grab your Bibles, please, and open up to the book of Luke. The Spanish will be dismissed at this time. head off to the translation room. The book of Luke, chapter number 24, we'll read one verse here, then we'll go to another verse, read that, and then we'll make our prayer, and we'll jump into the message this morning. Luke, chapter number 24, Luke, chapter number 24, Beginning in verse, uh, we'll read one verse, then we'll go to another one. Verse number 39, Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 39. The Bible says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Let's go to John chapter number 20. John chapter 20. And we'll read one verse there. John chapter number 20 and verse number 27. John chapter 20. And we'll read verse number 27 in John chapter number 20. The Bible says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you'll... Use me this morning, Father. I pray that you'll speak through the message that you've laid on my heart, Father. I pray that you'll help us to learn and grow, help us to make decisions about our lives, to help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. you seated. Hey, all right. Uh, if you uh, are not uh, understanding of the fact, hands are very, very uh, beneficial and essential part of your body. Now, yes, people can uh, survive without hands. It's not like you're going to die if you do not have hands, but your your quality of life and your ability to do things is very hindered uh, by not having your hands. There are many things you do with your hands, obviously touching, grasping, holding, manipulating, caressing, and so many more things. They are a vital part of who we are and how we even see ourselves by our ability to function. You can even tell problems and, and even some diseases just by looking at someone's hands and all those different things. You can actually look at a person's hand and you can almost tell what type of job they do, uh, by uh, where their calluses are on their hands, if they have calluses, uh, if they have any things on their fingertips, okay? Uh, you can tell a person if they play an instrument. All these different things just by looking at their hands, you can tell a lot about a person if you know... What you're looking for Uh, you can even tell if they play sports or what type of sport they play just by looking at the palms of their hands looking at their hands to see who you are and what you like to do if you know what you're looking for you know what to see and your hands can tell a lot about you in two places Jesus Christ said look at my hands he said behold my hands now both of them are after the resurrection Jesus Christ, he went before the tribunal, he went before the court, he went before the high priest, he stood there for days, and the Bible says he answered, he opened not his mouth, and he went through all that, he went through the scourging, he went through the beatings, he went through all that horrific torture, and after that he was crucified, had the nails driven through his hands, the nails driven through his feet, and he was crucified and hung on a cross for hours until he died. And then the Bible says that he was thrust through in his side with a spear, because what they would do for the Romans is, it took a long time for someone to die, so when they were crucified, so what they would do after a long time, after all the fun and games was over, uh, they would have a soldier come with his spear and they would break their knees, they'd break their kneecaps, so they could no longer push up, because in order to breathe on a cross, because of the way your collarbone is and the way that you would hang, it would cut off your airflow. So you'd have to push up on your feet that were nailed to the cross in order to breathe. So they would break your knees, so that would be very, very painful, if not even possible at all. So they would usually do that. But they came to Jesus, and they were about to break his knees, and they noticed, I don't think he's alive. So they thrust him through with a spear in his side. So that's why when he's talking to Thomas, he says, go ahead, put your hands, put your fingers through the holes in my hand. Take your hand, put it in my side. And when he talked to the other disciples before in Luke chapter number 24, he was telling them, handle me, touch me, feel me. Saying, if I'm a spirit, if I'm a ghost, you you can't touch me, you can't feel me. He's trying to let them know, I am real. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look at me, I am real. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not a hologram. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I am real. I am the real Jesus Christ that you just saw, not, th- not four days ago, not five days ago, that I was just with you not two weeks ago. I'm the same one. I died on the cross for your sins and I have risen again. Look at my hands. I'm the one. You saw me hanging on the cross. You saw them put the nails in my hands. You saw them put the nails in my feet. Look at me. I am that one. I am the Christ. That's what he was trying to tell them. I'm real. Look at me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take time to look at the beautiful hands of our Savior. And if you think, oh, they're not beautiful, I question some things about you. If you cannot think about your Savior's hands and say, man, those are beautiful hands, And there is something wrong inside of your heart. Either A, you're not saved, or B, you become your calluses that should be on your hands have moved to your heart. Because... The hands of your Savior are beautiful hands. Are they pierced through with nails? Yes. Are they probably bloodied at the time of the cross? Yes. But they're only that way because of me. So his hands are beautiful hands. So I want to take a look at our Savior's hands. Just so you could look at someone's hands and you could. Get an idea of who they are. If you really knew what you're looking for, you could probably say even what they do, what their hobbies are, and all these different things. I want to look at the hands of God, and I want to look at the hands of Christ and see what are they. And then we're going to take a turn and look at our hands. Look at your hands. And I want to see how our hands compare to the hands of our Savior. So first, let's go to Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13. Just at the end of the Old Testament, right before Malachi. So, the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew, is Malachi. You go one book back, that's Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13. And read one verse, verse number 6. The Bible says, And one shall say unto him, This is a prophecy. And this is talking about one shall say unto him, that him is Jesus Christ. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ was murdered in Jerusalem, in Judea. He was a Jew. And he was murdered by the Jews. It was the Jews that were crying, Crucify him. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason why the Jews have been under such persecution. Yeah. Now, I will say this the promise of God that God gave all the way back to Abraham is still true today. Amen. Yes, you bless my people, you will be blessed. You curse my people, you will be cursed. So, we stand with Israel. Yeah. Does that mean they're perfect? But they. Newsflash. No one is perfect. Yeah. Okay? So, if you're only looking for someone to follow and go after that's perfect, tell me when you find them, okay? It's not going to happen. Side note. Okay, back to the deal. Jesus Christ, his hands are the crucified hands, the wounded hands. His hands are still fresh with the wounds from the cross. His hands still are wounded. His feet still have the hole of the nail. His side still is open from the spear. Jesus Christ, his hands, let's look at his hands, his hands are crucified. Jesus Christ is the crucified one. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one that came to this earth that lived the perfect life, the sinless life, in a way that we can't even comprehend. We can't truly understand what it means to be sinless because that is our nature. It's almost, it's really hard to even comprehend that Jesus Christ came and lived on this sin-cursed world and was perfect. It's really hard to grasp your mind around because it's just our nature. But Jesus Christ came and with all this filth and all the garbage, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And because of that, he was able to be a sacrifice for you and for me. When I go sewing, so I like to explain it like this. Uh, if you're going, uh, you're going down the street, you run down, climb 100 miles per hour. Well, I hope you're not running. Driving down, climb 100 miles per hour, and you get pulled over. You get a ticket. Well, that's a pretty big deal. You'll probably, you know, get a lot of fines. Maybe even get your license revoked. Who knows? Okay. Depends on the law. Depends on the year. Okay. Uh, it depends on all these things. But you're, it, you're going to get punished. Okay. They're not going to say, oh, that's fine. No problem. Okay. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. Okay. The way I like to say it is, what if I came and I paid that for you? Did I deserve the punishment? No, I was not the one driving. I wasn't even there. But if I was the one driving, or if I also was guilty of that, I would not be eligible to sacrifice myself for you, because I am just as guilty as you are. So if Jesus Christ was just as guilty as you and I, even if he had one sinful thought, he would no longer be available as the sacrifice for our sins, because then he would have to pay for his own sins, which is no longer eligible to pay for mine. But Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He is the perfect one. He came to this earth, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the very Son of God, all powerful, and he came to earth, and his first bed was the dinner plate for a bunch of animals. We live in a country that uh, we've gotten so enamored with things and materialism and, oh, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who literally could have had whatever he wanted at the snap of his fingers, came down to this earth and was born, and his first bed was in a manger, and his parents were a carpenter and his wife. A real glamorous gig. That's who Jesus Christ was. He lived his life honoring the Lord. Even as a 12-year-old. The Bible remember the story? Mary and Joseph left him in Jerusalem, which you know. You know, we've all left children somewhere. Okay. Uh, I've been left, I was left to church many times by my parents. I'm scarred. No. Okay. And they came back and they found Jesus and he was at the temple speaking with the teachers and the lawyers and the doctors, and they were astonished at his knowledge. As 12 years old, then what did he tell his mom? He said, why are you looking for me? You know I must be about my father's business, meaning God's business. From a 12-year-old boy, he knew who he was, what he was here for, and what he was doing. And he lived his life in accordance with that. He lived his life so he could Pay for our sins, so his hands could bear the sins of this world, so he could take on the punishment for all of us, so he could take on the wrath of God for our sins, for our wickedness. He has the crucified hands, the hands that bear the wounds because of my sin, because of your sin. Romans chapter 10. What else do we see when we look at our Savior's hands? What do you see when you look at the beautiful hands of your Savior? Romans chapter 10, verse number 21. Romans chapter 10, verse number 21, the Bible says, But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gain-saying gain people. Let's go to Isaiah. 65. We're looking at the hands of our Savior and the hands of our God. What do you see? You can tell a lot when you look at the hands. So what do you see when you see the hands of Christ? Isaiah 65, verse number 2, the Bible says, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. See, the second thing we see when we look at our Savior's hands as they are welcoming hands. In both, in both situations, he's saying, look, I'm stretching forth my hand to a rebellious people. I'm stretching forth my hand to a people that want nothing to do with me. See, it's one thing to offer help to someone that's that's wanting help. Yes. It's another thing to offer help to someone that keeps on smacking your hand out of the way and saying, I'm still here. I'll still stretch out my hand. See, that's the hand of our Savior. The hands of our Savior are welcoming hands. Jesus Christ said in John chapter number six, verses 35 through 40, He says, And Jesus saith unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, That ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. So he said, I I didn't come to do what I wanted, I came to do what God wanted. This is what God wanted. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus Christ is saying, my job is to be a beacon of light. My job is to be the hand that's outstretched saying, I'm always ready when you are willing to grasp. Jesus Christ always has the outreach stand. I think of of Peter when he's walking on the water towards Jesus Christ and he sees the winds boisterous, he sees the waves around him, and immediately he begins to sing. And the Bible says, and immediately Jesus Christ grabbed his hand. Immediately Jesus Christ was there and had his hand outstretched to save Peter because he immediately began to sing. And the Bible specifically says, immediately Christ was there immediately the hands of our Savior is there to welcome you from your impending doom, from your impending death. Luke 14, 23 says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go unto the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. See, Jesus Christ's hands are welcoming to all. In fact, he's, he, he specifically calls out in this parable, he says, Go unto the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. He says, God says, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the dregs of the society that we quote unquote call. I don't care if it's those that live in the worst parts of town. Go and compel them to come in that my house may be full. See, God's hand is always outstretched and welcoming. He's saying, I want you to come. I want you to come to me. These are the hands of our Savior. They're welcoming hands. He says, come unto me. All you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Life is not what you thought it would be. Come unto me. I'll help you. My hand is outstretched. He said it specifically, my hand is outstretched to the rebellious people. Those that know what they ought to do, and they're not doing it, and God says, I'm still waiting for you. My hand is still outstretched. Another place in Isaiah, he said, my hand is not shortened that I cannot save. My hand is always outstretched. I'm always ready. It's always there. I'm just waiting on you. We see the crucified hands of our Savior. We see the welcoming hands of our Savior. What else do we see? Matthew chapter number six. What do you see in the beautiful hands of your Savior? Do you see anything at all? Or have you become so cold and callous and so used to everything, so used to the Bible and blah, 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 blah. Just talking about hands. How sad. Mark chapter number six. I'm in Matthew. Mark chapter number six. Mark chapter number six. We read two verses in verse number two. Mark chapter number six, verse number two. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And with what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Verse number five. And he could there do no mighty works save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and he healed them. You see, one of the most amazing things we see about our Savior's hands upon his time on this earth is his hands of healing. It's all over the scriptures. There was nothing that Jesus Christ could not fix with his hands, except for in one place, In his hometown of Nazareth, the Bible says, and he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Once again, God gave us the gift of free will. God says, I am not going to force myself on you. If you don't want to listen, I will not force myself on you. But if you're willing to believe, I'll do great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You can't even comprehend what I can do. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, I'll just read it. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There wasn't anything that Jesus Christ was hindered from. Everything, every sickness, every disease, everything, Jesus Christ said, It's within my power. I have the ability, and I will heal. In Mark chapter number 7, verses 35 through 37, the Bible says, And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loose, and he spake plain, and he charged them that day that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published it. Sounds like humans always doing what they're not told to do. (laughs) And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well, all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. There was nothing that Jesus Christ was hindered from. There was nothing that he was not able to do. Matthew 15, 30. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, they could not walk. Those that were blind, they could not see. Those that were dumb, they could not speak. Those that were maimed, they had physical impairments. And many others. And cast them down at Jesus' feet. the healing hands of our Savior. Mark seven twenty six. the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. This is what the Bible says. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And he did. This is the same woman that he spoke to. She was a Gentile. This is the same woman he spoke to, and they, they had a conversation back and forth, and he was testing her faith. He's saying, well, you know, I'm a Jew, you know, I'm from the Jews. And she went on to say, the conversation went on, and the the long story short, she got on to say this. She said, look, I am a dog compared to you. She said, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the master's table. See, Jesus Christ didn't think of her as a dog, but he wanted to show his disciples, look at her faith. And he even goes on to say later on, he says, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. In the people of God. In the people that have the histories of God has done this, and God has done this, and God has done this. And this Gentile woman has more faith than I've seen in all of Israel. I wonder how that could be saved so many churches today. I have not, if God looks down and says, I have not seen so great a faith in all of my churches. I haven't seen so great a faith. What an indictment on the people of Israel. They have the benefit of history. They have the benefit of the knowledge of what they know has happened in the past. But once again, the calluses that should be on our hands tend very quickly to move to our heart. I don't, I don't believe that. It's just a child's story. It's poetical. Yeah. The healing hands of our father, of our savior. Mark seven twenty nine. Jesus Christ, to conclude that, he said, and he said unto her, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. Jesus Christ, there was nothing his hands could not heal. Whether it was sickness or disease, whether it was an impairment, vision, hearing, or whether it was even actual demons possessing, there was nothing the hands of your Savior could not heal. Mark 7, 30, and when she came to her house, when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed, a Gentile woman. There's also the Roman centurion. Those are two Gentiles, and both of them, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, you guys need to learn from these people. Their faith, I haven't seen in all of Israel, how great a faith they have. They had that mountain-moving faith. See, because they understood the healing hands of our Savior, they don't need to be physically touching, because they understood our Savior is all-powerful. He doesn't need proximity for His power to reach. His power is everlasting and ever-going. The healing hands of our Savior, Hebrews chapter 1, what else do we see when we look at the hands of our Savior? Hebrews chapter number one. What do you see? Honestly, think to yourself. When you think about your Savior's hands, the one that died for you, that laid his life, took your sin upon him so you could spend eternity with your Father, God, in heaven, so you could spend eternity with him, what do you think of when you think of his hands? Have you ever even thought of his hands? I remember Mary She went into the Pharisee's house when Jesus was there, and she thought so much of Jesus that she used her tears and her hair to wash his feet. She broke the alabaster box, which was a lifetime of savings, and poured it all on him. See, she thought so much of Jesus that the very lowest part of the body, the feet, one of the most disgusting parts of the body. Carries us around. It's always dirty. Doesn't smell good. Usually doesn't look nice. At least if you're a guy. Okay. Hopefully your feet don't look nice, because if so, there are questions. (laughs) But she said, Jesus is so high. He is so holy. The best my body has to offer, my head. And the glory of the body is the head. This is where everything happens. This is just a rag to wipe his feet. And we don't even have time to think of his hands. What he saved us with. What he holds out to us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. See, God has those creating hands. See, God is all-powerful. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Everything that we have, everything that there is, is because of God. Yeah. Because God made them. Because God Put them to be that way. You see, we have the all-powerful hands. His hands are the hands of creation. You see, we like to say, oh, I created something. Not really. Creation in its truest sense means there was nothing, now there's something. We don't have that ability. We have the ability to mimic creation, but we don't have the ability to actually have true creation. See, true creation is let there be. There is. That's God's power, the all-powerful hands of creation. And think of this. Don't ever get over this. God used his voice to create all of creation except for one. One part of creation, God said, I want to use my hands. The Bible says that God, using the clay of the earth, formed Adam. See, everything else in creation, God said, I can just use my voice. But this, mankind, this is the pinnacle of my creation. Understand, God, the God of gods, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the universe said, I want to form you with my own hands. Oh, God could have easily said, let there be man. Poof. It would be just as perfect. But God said, I want to make this special. He formed Adam out of the clay of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. The care and detail God has given mankind. The creating hands. How often have you thought of that? That you are truly... Creation that was formed by the hands of God Himself. The mighty sculptor. Hebrews chapter 8. What else do you see when you see the hands of your Father, the hands of your Savior? Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 9. What do you see in His hands? Not according uh, Hebrews chapter eight verse number nine. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the uh, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. What did God say? He says I took them by the hand. I took my hand and I took their hand and I led them through the way that they should go. Psalm seventy eight. Another way God says it, Psalms chapter 78. Well, Psalm 78. The book of Psalms, number 78. Psalm 78. Verse number 72, the last one of Psalm 78. Speaking of God. So he, meaning God, fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. The next thing we see when we look at the hands of our God, the hands of our Savior, we see the guiding hands. Not only was he crucified for us, not only does he care for us, not only did he form us, not only does he take care of us, he guides us along. Just like a father with a young child grabs him by the hand and says, let's go. I've got you. I will hold you in my hand as we go along. One of the safest places a child can be, one of the most safest feelings a child can have, is when they hold their father's hand. The small, fragile hand in the hand of a grown adult man that's seen life, has become hard and callous by the things they've done, what more safety could a child have than holding their father's hand? And God says, I guide using my hands. God isn't a drill instructor that yells, hey, go over here, do this. No, he says, I guide by the skillfulness of my hand. Let's go this way. Follow along with me. Why don't you walk along beside me? John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. See, Jesus is our guide and our caretaker. Psalms 37, 23 says, The steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. See, the steps of a good man, a man that tries to honor and please God, God says, let's go here next. Let's go here next. They're ordered by the Lord. God says, follow along. I'll lead you step by step. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart divines his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Proverbs 3, 6, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God is saying, you stay with me. My hands will guide you along. Even if it's step by step, even if it's the very second before you take your step down, I'll guide you along. My hand will guide you. He is the ultimate guide. He desires to illuminate your way and to be your guide, the beautiful hands of our Lord. What do you see when you see the beautiful hands of your Lord? Do you see the beauty? Or has it gotten lost on you? Because of immaturity, because of the everyday humdrums and doldrums of life, you've become calloused. What do you see when you see the hands of your Savior? How often do you even think about the hands of Jesus, the hands of the Messiah? But what do your hands say about you? We could spend all day, we could spend hours upon hours just looking at the hands of Jesus, the hand of God. But what about you? Your hands tell a lot about you. So what do they say? We just looked at the hands of Jesus, the beautiful hands of our Savior. We saw what it had to say about him, and we could have gone on and on. But what do your hands say about you? Psalms 141.1, one, the Bible says, this is a psalm of David, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth, teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The first thing that your hands can say about you, or what type of hands do you have, are the warring hands. Warring hands in this fact of spiritual warfare. Your hands are constantly in battle for the soul's of lost men. So, this is what the Bible says the Lord teacheth my hands to war. So, this isn't a wicked, fleshly type of war. This is that spiritual warfare. Yeah, right. That spiritual warfare that I am constantly in battle for the souls of men. That with Those warring hands that say, I will do what it takes to make sure that I do everything I can to see lost souls saved, that we're going to hell, but I'm going to do everything I can in my power with God's help to use my hands. To save those. Jesus Christ himself said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said it in a different way. He said, those that are healthy need not a physician, but those that are sick. Jesus Christ knew who he was here for. And we ought to as well. That our hands ought to be used in the spiritual warfare for others. Are your hands active in the search for lost souls? Or you could take it or leave it. If I think about it, if I feel like it, I, I, I might get involved. Now God says your hands should be constantly in the spiritual warfare, searching for the lost souls, because in any way we should be as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I am come to seek and to save. That's what is lost. Well, that is our job. We are, or we like to call ourselves Christians. We bear the name of the Christ. Therefore, we should bear the mission of the Christ, and His Christ, His mission was to seek and to save that which is lost. So, my hands ought to be always on, as it used to be said many years ago, "soul patrol." I am always looking for the lost soul. I am always ready to find the lost soul. And along that same uh, vein, how is the spiritual warfare going? How is your hands in the battle of spiritual warfare. You see, the more you do something, the better you get at it. So, your inability is a testament to what you have done. Your inability of the spiritual warfare is a sign of your lack of experience in the spiritual warfare. So, have the Lord blessed your hands with strength and taught your hands to war and your fingers to fight in the spiritual warfare? Or have you not allowed him because you will not? What do your hands say about you? Proverbs 6.10, what else does your hands say about you? How do your hands line up to the beautiful hands of the Savior? Proverbs six verse ten. yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep. Do you have the folded hands of laziness? All your hands, the hands of the idol? Never in action, folded in a state of sleep or relaxation. You fold your hands, you fold your arms when you're relaxed, when everything's good, when you want to take a load off. You don't see a man hard at work or anyone hard at work, okay, uh, with their hands folded, arms crossed. That's not a person hard at work. That's a person at leisure. That's a person at relaxation. God can and God will use any man except for one, the lazy man. God cannot use a lazy man because he's lazy. He will not work. The same principle that God could not do many mighty works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. God will not force himself on you. God will give you the opportunity to serve him, but he will not force you to serve him. So God says, I will use any man except for a lazy man because the opportunity is there, but he will not do it. The book of Proverbs has two examples of some of the excuses the lazy man gives. One of them is, I cannot go out because there is a lion in the streets. I can't go to work today, boss. The lion got out of the zoo. I know he's coming after me. That's the best you could come up with, a lion's in the street. Or the other one was, the 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 slothful not plow by reason of the cold. You see, you plow in the springtime, early in the morning. During the spring, early in the morning, just like in the fall, early in the morning, it's still a little chilly. It's not totally warm yet. So the slothful man says, "Mm, it's so nice and cold. I'm gonna stay in my nice warm covers. When it gets a little warmer, I'll go out and do it. You see, but when you wait till it gets a little warmer to go out and do it, then everything's gonna to be too late. Your produce will not be produced by the time it's supposed to be done. The lazy hands. The folded hands of laziness. God will use and can use any man except for a lazy man. Another way of saying it, laziness is the scourge of the ministry. You want to halt a ministry in its tracks, fill it with lazy people. Nothing will ever get done because nothing will ever get done. Do you have the folded hands of laziness? Folded hands of laziness. Should that be named of a Christian? Someone that goes to church? Someone that bears the name of Christ. I've got those folded hands of laziness. Such a shame. What else do your hands say about you? Isaiah 35, 3 and 4, the Bible says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even, with a God, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you, strengthen you the weak hands. Do you have the weak hands of fearfulness? Another place in Isaiah it talks about, or I believe it was Jeremiah, it talks about having a fear of man's faces. It could be a fearful thing to talk to men. Because literally, you never know what they're going to do. You never know. I mean... You, you go to talk to somebody to give them a track to ask them if, they, if they're saved or not. It's going to be the scariest person in the world. You think, you know, they're going to chew me up and spit me out, okay? And they're like, thanks, I needed that. And then you go to someone that seems like a nice, you know, gentle person, you know. You barely escape with your life. <laughs> you never know what people are going to do. It's an easy thing to fear men. And to have weak hands. When fearfulness comes, you become feeble, feeble need and weak hands. Your hands become weak. Your knees begin to shake because of your fearfulness. Do you lack the strength that the Lord has in store because of your fear of men? Do you lack the boldness that God has in store for you and for all of his children? God promises his power, God promises his ability. So where is it? Why is it lacking? Are your hands feeble and weak? Are you filled with fear? What do your hands say about you? Do you have the weak hands of feebleness and faint-heartedness? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have power from God. We have love from God. And God says, I have given you a sound mind. Meaning, sound, not in I can hear it. Sound as in, it's sound it's firm. It is, foundation is strong. Our mind will be settled. It'll be concrete. That's what it means when we're talking about sound. How many hands are weakened and lack the ability that we should have because we have embraced a fearful spirit? What do your hands say about you? How do they match up to the beautiful hands of the Savior? Ezekiel three seventeen through 18 says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning nor speakest to warn the wicked from his way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Acts twenty twenty six. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure of the blood of all men. When you look at your spiritual hands, are they covered with the blood of lost souls? See, God told Ezekiel, He said, Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a message. And if you do not deliver the message that I give you to the wicked, then their blood is on you. I will require it at you. Because how is someone supposed to repent if they're not given the message to repent? So God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I have a message for the wicked, and you better give it, because if not, and they die in their iniquity, the blood of them is on your hand. And the Apostle Paul echoed it in the New Testament. He says, look, I am pure of the blood of all men. What is he saying? He's saying, I am doing everything I can to make sure every person I come in contact with, I let them know of who I am and who I represent and what my message is. Paul said, I want to put my head on my pillow every night and know my hands are clean of the blood of all men. Why? I cannot force a person to get saved. I cannot force myself upon a person to get saved today, accept Jesus Christ. I cannot do that. But what I can do is I can give them the message that I have been tasked to take, just like Ezekiel. Great commission, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel unto every creature. That is our command. That is our commission. That is the mission that has been given to us by God himself, by Jesus Christ, when he went up into heaven. The last thing he said to man was, this is your job. This is your goal. This is your purpose for being on this earth. If we did not have a purpose in the second we got saved, we would, phew, Leave me up, Scotty. Okay. That's not what it's about. God says you're saved and you stay here for a reason, for a purpose. You don't get saved just so you can die and go to heaven. You get saved so you can continue yes. propagating and fulfilling yeah, right. the gospel and the Great Commission. Yeah. 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 But when we do not, our hands become covered in the blood of the lost. The saved one that does not go soul winning is the one whose hands are drenched in the blood of those they did not witness to. When you look at your hands, are they stained red with the blood of the lost? Let me ask it this way. Whose blood is on your hands? You see, there are some times where we know there's someone just random that we believe the Lord wants us to talk to, and we don't do it. Well, guess what? The blood is on their hands. But there are others that you know personally, that you know, and you see them, whether they're family, whether they're friends, whether they're coworkers, and that blood has a name to you whose blood sits in the palm of your hand. You will stand before your Savior. If you are saved, you will stand before what we call the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. That is not for the lost. That is only for the saved. That is where Jesus Christ will come and say, show me what you did with everything I gave you. That's where all of your life's work will be burned in front of you. And only that which is of precious will survive. And you'll answer for every, the Bible says, every idle word. If God is gonna get that intricate and in how he's going, if Jesus Christ is gonna get that intricate and in how he's going to detail your life, it's gonna be a long day. He's gonna require every idle word at thy hand. And he's going to ask, Whose blood is on your I had you at that place for a reason. I allowed you to get this illness or to have this thing so you could be in the hospital. So the person you were next to in that room had a chance to hear about me. And you washed your hands of it. Whose blood? What story are your hands telling Are they screaming out? The blood of those that we all know we've left behind. Do you see the blood of those that are lost? Does it drip from your hands? What story do your hands tell? First Thessalonians four eleven, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. The next thing we see, what type of hands do you have? Working hands. Are your hands diligent to do the business in front of you? The business that is laid before you. Are your hands diligent to do the work? Are your hands busy and productive? Luke uh, 2.49, are your hands as Jesus said, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus Christ, at the age of 12, that's what he said to his mom and dad, his earthly father and his mother, he said, as a 12-year-old boy, he says, both of you know I must be about my father's business. He has more dedication and more earnestness and more dedicate and more diligence than most of us as grown adults. And he was a twelve-year-old boy. As a twelve-year-old, he says, I'm, "I'm getting about my father's business. I'm making sure I'm ready for the time appointed when I when God wants me, when my father wants me to start my earthly ministry. When my father wants me to go out and start calling the disciples and get the ball rolling, I need to make sure that I'm ready. So I must be about my father's business." His hands were diligent you have the folded hands of laziness? Remember, Jesus Christ, before he began his earthly ministry, he was the carpenter's son. He was a carpenter. Anyone know what carpenters work with? Their hands. This was before the age of milling machines and computers, so he couldn't, okay. It was hard, intensive work. All day long, constantly working for perfection, making the best products that he could, just the way Joseph did. He had working hands. He did, personally, not figuratively. Literally, he had working hands. Jesus Christ was not afraid of hard work. He was a hard worker. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Colossians 3.23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You see, we're too busy and worried about what others think, but our hands should always be busy, should always be working, and they should always be working as if this is something I'm making and doing for God himself. God himself has tasked me to clean this carpet. So I'm going to make sure this is something that's fit for God to come in at this moment. That is the attitude I should always have when I'm working. When I'm doing a job, whether I'm teaching a class, whether I'm writing, whatever it may be, my thought should always be to God. I am doing this as if God himself, came down and commissioned me for this job and asked me himself to do this for him. That should be my mindset. My hands should be the working hands of diligence. They should be diligent to the task, diligent to the job at hand. What do your hands say of you? 1 Timothy two eight. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting? Do you have the holy hands of prayer? How many battles have you fought with folded hands and bended knee, meaning in prayer? Jesus Christ understood this very well. Luke 6, 12, and it came to pass in those days, this is talking about Jesus Christ, that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. You see, one area we falter in is we tend to worry. We tend to fear, and that's what drives us to prayer. That's what drives us to to get to that frantic place of, I'll pray all night. Understand, Jesus Christ never had that. Jesus Christ never worried. He knew, he was confident in his father, but Jesus Christ said, you know what, sometimes I need to sacrifice because I need to to get close with my father again. See, Jesus Christ never worried what God was going to do or how God was going to take care of it. He knew he was confident. But even him, even he, continued all night in prayer to God. Because every once in a while he said, you know what, I just need to spend some time, just me and the Father. I don't need sleep tonight. I need time with my Father. I need to have some one-on-one time. Mark six forty-six, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Matthew 14:23 And when he had sent the multitudes away he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come he was there alone Time and time again Jesus Christ is showing the example the holy hands of prayer I need to go off by myself and pray Where are the holy hands of prayer What has happened to Christianity Oh, it was once a bulwark of godliness and prayers that were filled with power. Where have they gone? James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And then it goes on to say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God says, you want to know the secret sauce? Here it is. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then what am I looking for? The effectual, fervent prayer of who? A righteous man. I pray and I pray hard. Okay. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. God says, I am moved when someone that is doing right and doing everything he can Oh, and the Bible says the just man falls seven times, yet riseth up again. So God doesn't say, Oh, you've fallen, I'm not answering your prayer today. No, in fact, God says uh, the Bible says specifically in Psalms, he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So God says, when I cut off prayer is when you've gotten to the place that it's no longer a fall, it's a regarding. I haven't stumbled, I've sat down and made camp. See, it's one thing to trip and fall and to get back up. It's another thing to trip and fall and say, Ooh, oh, this is nice and comfortable. I'm just going to stay down here. When you get to that place, God says, okay, no more. Until we get this right, I will not hear. Where are the holy Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Oh, we look the part. Oh, we look good. We can even quote Bible. We even know biblical principles, and we can have good thoughts. But where's the power? Where's that power of, I think of stories of men and women from yesteryear who had power with God. Who when they prayed, it was a done deal. It's going to happen. Like there is no question. It's going to happen. What has happened? What's wrong? Did God, the Bible says in another place, has his ear stopped working? Is his arm shortened? No. God can still save. So, it's not God that's wrong, so it has to be us. It has to be you and I. Where are those holy hands that produced powerful prayers? Where are the holy hands of prayer? That's the important thing we're missing. Effectual affirmative prayer, okay of a righteous man availeth much. What are we missing? Well, either we're not praying effectually and fervently, or our hands are no longer the hands of a righteous man. They are no longer holy. Sin. Hebrews 12.12 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Do you have the hanging hands of faint-heartedness? We looked at the weak hands of fearfulness. Faint-heartedness means cowardice, timoroseness or timidness, want of courage. Have we been filled with cowardice? You look at someone whose hands hang. It's a defeated person. Someone whose hands just hang. You can tell. There's a difference when someone is standing just with their hands at their side and their hands are hanging. They're just almost swaying in the breeze. They've given up. Their hands are hanging out of defeat. They have been defeated. Who has defeated you? Who has control of you? Nehemiah 6, 9 says, For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Isaiah 35, 3 says, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Strengthen it up. Get back to God, get back in your Bible and strengthen your hands. Confirm your feeble knees. Your cowardice has no place in the Christian life. God says, once again, for 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of, love, but of power, but of love and of sound mind. We are weak and feeble. Yes, on our own, we are weak and feeble. And oftentimes we feel weak and feeble because we're in our own power because we've denied the power of God. But when you get to the place that you realize it's not all about me and it's not supposed to be all from me. Yes, I'm supposed to work. Yes, I'm supposed to give my, my all, but my true power isn't mine at all. My true ability is not mine at all. All of that comes from God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. You see, when you get to the place where you find that doing this Christian life, working, uh, working for the Lord, doing what you ought to, working in a ministry, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that, doing everything you're supposed to do, and you do all of that, and you do all of that, and you've been doing it in your own power, you'll eventually find out you can no longer do it. There will come a time where you become defeated. Why? I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm living a Christian life. I'm trying to do my best. Why am I so tired? Why am I so overcome? Why am I so overwhelmed? I feel like I'm about to fall apart. Well, because your hands have not been strengthened by the Lord. See, you're trying to do a godly work without godly power. You're trying to do a godly work, a spiritual work with flesh-driven power. God says, Okay, try it out. Come back to me in three months. Let's see how we're going. As you're running on fumes and about to crash and burn, God says, are you ready to come use my power? See, our hands hang in defeat because we've been just trying to do it on our own. What do your hands say about you? Deuteronomy 24:19. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the works of thine hands. Do you have the blessed hands? Can you imagine that? That's a powerful statement. That the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the works of thy hands. You literally have the mightiest touch. Everything I touch is blessed. I think of Joseph. Joseph had that. Joseph was right with the Lord, and Joseph had this in his life. Whether it was working for his father, his father's everything was going well. The fields, the cattle. Everything was going good. He was thrown into slavery, shipped off to Egypt. Potiphar bought him. He's in Potiphar's house. Joseph is there. Joseph is working. Guess what? Everything in Potiphar's house is going up, and it's going great. He gets thrown in prison because he was lied about. Guess what happens in the prison? Things start going well in the prison. He's such a trusted member in the prison as a prisoner that the warden, the head jailer, says, hey, you're second in command. And then... God uses him in Egypt, and Egypt becomes the most powerful nation in the world. See, Joseph had those blessed hands, that everything he touched, God says, I'll bless it just because you touched it. Can you say that about you? Does your job have more blessing because you work there? Does your family, do those you interact with have more blessing because your hands are involved? Because God says, I want to bless everything you do. Those blessed hands that mightest touch in all thy work. I think of Job. I mean, Job was probably one of the most wealthiest men to ever live. God blessed him for Everything Job did, all the work of his hands, that's what the devil said. The devil specifically said, thou hast blessed all the work of his hands. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. See, the devil was trying to accuse Job of, you only trust God because God has blessed you. Well, Job came out of that very well on the other side, showing, no, that's not why I trust God. I trusted God well before he blessed me, and I'm going to trust God well after he stops. That's what Job said. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood whether God gives me everything or whether God gives me nothing, I'm a blessed man. How many of us could say that? How many of us could go through what Job went through? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm just blessed to be alive. Do you have the blessed hands? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. How do I have those blessed hands? Joshua 1.8. That's God's formula. You do this, then I'll make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. So what do your hands tell about you? How do your hands compare to the Savior? We looked at Jesus Christ's hands. We looked at God's hands and we saw all the wonderful and amazing things that God is and Jesus Christ is the Messiah and everything He has done just by His hands. And we look at our hands. How do they stack up? Do they even We looked at some good things that our hands could be and those things are only good because of God. The Lord strengthened my hand. The Lord blessed my hand. The Lord did this. And everything that's bad is when we take the reins and try to do it ourselves. How do your hands compare? If Jesus Christ came in here, poof, just like he did with Thomas, just like he did with the disciples and said, behold my hand. How would your hands compare to his? The holy hands of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Would our hands be too tarnished with sin and filth and the blood of the lost to even recognize it's a hand anymore? It's just a filthy, reeking pile of garbage. What does your hand say about you? Is there even a comparison to make? Jesus said, Behold, we said, look at my hands, it's me. Put your finger in the hole that the stake drove through. Stick your hand in my side, Thomas, it's me, I'm real. Look at your savior's hands, what do you see? Look at your hands. Do you see the beautiful hands of your Savior in your own hands? We should. We bear the name of Christ. So therefore we should bear the image of Christ in every way. The beautiful hands. There's a song by Ron Hamilton called Beautiful Hands. Beautiful hands that broke the bread cared for the sick, and raised the dead. Hands full of feeling, comfort and healing, the beautiful hands of Jesus. Beautiful hands pleading for me. Understand, Jesus Christ did everything he did, and he doesn't just sit in heaven, high and mighty, looking down his nose at us. We already looked at it. He has the welcoming hands. He is pleading for you. If you're lost, he's saying, come. My hand is outstretched for you. Come to me. I'm pleading that you come. Bound to the cross that I might go free. Paying the price that justice demands. Torn by the nail. beautiful hands so strong and kind held to a cross by love divine broken and bleeding mercy exceeding beautiful hands of Jesus beautiful hands stretched out to you ready to cleanse and make life anew God says I want to take your filthy broken life and I want I want to make it something that you can't even imagine. Hands that will guide you, shelter and hide you. Beautiful hands of Jesus. When's the last time you even thought about the beautiful hands of Jesus? The Christ. And when's the last time you even looked at your hands?